What kind of heart does Bonnie have? She's a 16-year-old 16 year who desires to be a nurse. She did, desires to marry, but wants a good job so she can make it in her marriage if her marriage doesn't work and if her children don't take care of her as she ages. What kind of heart does Bonnie have? What kind of heart does John have? He's 40 years old, who shares little of himself because he doesn't want to be rejected. He rarely shares a struggle or a need. He finds it hard to encourage others. What kind of heart does John have? Let's read together Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we'll begin reading with verse 14. In verses 1 through 10, we find that Jesus had fed the 4,000. After feeding the 4,000, he got into a boat to go with his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. When he crossed the Sea of Galilee, we find that some Pharisees are there, and they begin to question him. They test him, and they're looking for a sign from heaven. And then he left there. He gets into a boat, and we pick up with verse 14 of Mark 8. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? As the disciples get into the boat, along with Jesus, to cross the Sea of Galilee, the verse 14 says, he had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. We don't know if there was talk of bread from, in the context or not, but the context clearly says they had forgotten you know, to bring bread except for one loaf. And Jesus apparently chooses to use that opportunity to respond. Verse 15, be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Jesus is warning them with the words, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. The idea of the word warn, the idea of the word warn is to determine, to make a decision. Am I going the wrong way, Jer? Okay. To warn means to determine, you know, what's going on. And as a result, you're issuing a decision. And in issuing a decision, you're going to 
respond to an individual as far as what should be taking place. So my dad at times would warn. When I would go out with friends, he would say, you need to be careful, Dan. Some of you have gotten stopped by a policeman, and a policeman issued you a warning. He determined that you were doing something wrong, and he warned you. A smoke detector that goes off is warning you that something is happening. So Jesus says to the 12, a warning, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And as you think about the yeast of the Pharisees, Jesus is being very intense. He says, be careful. He also says, watch out. What are they to be careful over? What are, to, what are they to watch for? The yeast of the Pharisees. And the yeast of Herod. Now, what is yeast? What is the purpose of yeast? What does yeast do? Makes things rise. You know, you put it in, it makes things rise. He says, look out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. What is the yeast of the Pharisees and yeast of Herod? Look back in verse 11 on chapter 8. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Now, as we discussed last week, the Pharisees came to Jesus. They did not believe he was who he claimed to be. They did not believe that he was the Son of God. They rejected his identity, his character, his being, as was being communicated through his life. They had unbelief. To test him, they asked for a sign from heaven. Jesus, if you really are who you claim to be, then give us one of these great big signs from heaven. And Jesus refused because he recognized that they had already determined that they would not believe in him. They would not accept who he was. The yeast of Herod back in chapter 6 ties in with the yeast of the Pharisees. Back in chapter 6, verses 14 through 29, we find that King Herod hears about the teaching and the preaching and the healing that were being done by the twelve as the twelve were sent out by Jesus. In verse 14, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why, or that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claim he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. 
Herod refused to accept the reality of who Jesus was. There was not a belief that he was the Christ, not a belief that he was the one who could raise people from the dead and so on. Rather, he says, Jesus must be the man I beheaded, and he has been raised from the dead. Jesus says to the 12, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, that of Herod. When he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, he's talking about there's no faith, no belief concerning Jesus in his identity, being in character. He could be saying, be careful, watch out for the unbelief of the Pharisees and that of Herod, their unbelief of not accepting me for who I am in light of being the good news of God, <coughs> being the one who can raise people from the dead and so on. What is the response of the 12? Apparently, they could be lured into unbelief. Verse 16 says, they discussed it with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Now, when they're discussing this among themselves, the 12 are discussing among themselves, the idea of discuss is to reason or to consider. And it's a word that is never used in a positive manner in Mark. They're reasoning among themselves, they're discussing. You know, why does Jesus say this? It's not a positive discussion. Is it because we have no bread? They're thinking of physical bread. We don't have but one loaf of physical bread. And Jesus says, beware. Watch out. Be careful for the yeast, the unbelief of the Pharisees and of Herod. James Edwards says, and I quote, the disciples are unaware of their actual condition. They quibble about the meaning of bread without realizing they're being infected by a deadly cancer. Their failure to comprehend can produce a hardness of heart that is tadmont to the declared opposition of the Pharisees and Herod. The danger is more deceptive in their case since they're in daily contact with Jesus. And as in the case of Jesus' mother and brothers in chapter 3, 31 through 35. The fact that they are in physical proximity with Jesus may lead them to presume that they are also with him in purpose and mission. Their proximity to Jesus must grow into understanding and understanding into faith, or else, like Judas, it will in the end inoculate them against the meaning of his person and work. End of quote. Jesus is aware of their reasoning. Verse 17 says, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, and he asked a series of questions. You know, some people need extra help sometimes to understand. Like the man who went, to a, went into a bank to get some money, and the teller told him to make out a check and to sign it. But the man would not do so, so the teller said, if you won't sign the check, I can't give you money. 
the man went across the street to another bank and said to the teller, I would like some money. And she said, sign the check. And he refused to sign it. So she reached across, grabbed him by his ears, banged his head three times. He signed the check, got his money, went back across the street to the other bank and said to the teller there, I just want you to know that the bank across the street gave me the money I wanted. And the teller said, how did that happen? They explained it to me, answered the man. Jesus here is explaining to the 12 that they didn't get it. What are, you, what are you talking about, no bread? Bang. Do you still not see or understand? Bang. Are your hearts hardened? Bang. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Bang. And don't you remember? Bang. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. Bang, bang, bang. He's trying to get their attention. They're thinking physical. He's talking about unbelief. Not seeing Jesus for who he is. And his first question, in light of no faith on the part of Herod, on the part of the Pharisees, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Try new technology this morning. <clears throat> what am I doing here, Jer? But anyway, the first question is, why are you talking about no bread? Why are you talking about no bread? Don't you recall that I fed the 4,000? Bread's not an issue here. He poses the next question. Do you not see or understand? Don't you grasp in your mind your intellect and comprehend what is going on here? I'm able to take care of the physical need. But I'm not talking about a physical need. I'm talking about unbelief. He poses another question, bangs their head again, so to speak. Are your hearts hardened? Or the seed of your feelings, your affectionate desire, the seed of your intellect, has it become petrified? Or is it becoming petrified to become calloused? Are you moving in that direction? Do you have e or eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you discern? Don't you understand? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they responded quite well. Their heart 
or with 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. Do you still not understand? He bombards them with question after question. And how are they responding? Not well. See, he gave them a warning. Be careful. Watch out. For the yeast, the unbelief of the Pharisees and of Herod. He must have seen in their heart, in spite of having the 4,000 fed, that there was some unbelief coming, being present. And he warns them of that. What is the point of the passage? I think the point of the passage is... that followers of Christ are tempted to fail to believe Christ. That is his being, his character, his identity. In other words, unbelief. He is speaking to the 12 who had seen the miracle of the 5,000 raised someone from the dead, had healed, had fed the 4,000. And he says, beware, be careful, watch out for the yeast, the unbelief of the Pharisees and that of Herod. He saw that they were being tempted not to believe. So the series of questions, banging their heads, so to speak, to get through to them. I would pose a couple applications in relation to that. Are we inoculating young people, non-believers, against Christ by much emphasis upon proofs rather than faith? Should we take people to the Gospels to see the identity and character and being of Jesus and then ask them if they want to be a disciple of Christ by faith? A teen comes and says, you proved to me that God created the universe and I will believe. And they're being somewhat antagonistic in their thinking. You can't prove the creation of the universe. There's evidences that it was created. But Hebrews 11 says it's by faith that we believe the universe was created years ago. It's faith in a God who has revealed himself. It's faith in a Christ who has revealed himself. See, the person who comes and says, you prove to me that God created the universe and I will follow Christ. If they're antagonistic, their mind is already made up. They don't want to follow him. 
Maybe we need to take them to Jesus, to the Gospels, and work through the Gospels with them so they see the Christ that we're asking them to follow. And it may make a difference. They may not be resisting Christ. They may not be resisting God. They may be resisting something else. See, Jesus causes calls people to follow him, not Proust, about him. Christ, in his identity, character, being, must be lifted up. Not all kinds of Proust. We follow Christ. In John chapter 3, we find that Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And Jesus says, just as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so I must be lifted up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 31, as the church at Corinth was divided and having many difficulties, Paul says, Christ, Christ. As Paul writes to the believers in Colossae, and they were being tempted to turn from Christ and to say, well, Christ is one among many that you follow in getting to God. Paul says, no, Christ is it. Let me tell you who he is and his identity and his character and his being. Many times it is not that people need proof. They need to see Jesus. We're tempted many times to think if we can just prove that God is God, that he created, that he did a host of other things, then people will follow. The Pharisees had a lot of proof. Jesus was present on the earth. Herod had proof, but they both had unbelief. It was an issue of belief or unbelief. I'm not opposed to apologetics. I'm not opposed to presenting evidence. But evidence will not bring belief in and of itself. It's still an issue of faith. What will we do with the person of Jesus Christ? Lift him up, exalt him. Bring in evidence all that you want. But the 12, I'm sorry, the Pharisees were looking for more than evidence. They wanted some special sign from heaven. So as I said in biology class in college, and the professor went on elaborating about how the world got here and there was missing links and so on. If I had had opportunity and went to him and said, Prof, I want to talk to you about why you believe what you believe. And he said, well, Dan, if you give me a sign, I'll believe. I hope I would have said, I won't look for a sign, but I want to take you to the Gospels. Let's see about Jesus and who he is. And then I want to invite you to follow him. Not a sign, but Jesus. Christ and his identity, character, and being must be lifted up. Not all kinds of proofs. Again, I'm not opposing proofs.
I would pose another question. How are we tempted to display the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of Herod? Remember, he's speaking to the 12, those who are with him, those who are following him. And he says, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. How might we be tempted not to believe? How about daily physical needs? Most of us really probably don't have to depend upon God a lot for our daily physical needs. We have more than enough. But let me pose a question. When you open the refrigerator and what you would like isn't there and you whine and complain, what is happening? When I say to Ruth Ann, we don't have any chips around the house, what am I doing? So go back some 40 years ago when I said to Ruth Ann, I don't know what we're going to do because we don't have anything in the house to eat after we had our corn fritters using the flour and the can of corn that we had. Did we in confidence believe that we would not starve? Or did we worry and fret? Are we tempted to own belief in relationships? I think everyone here this morning has been hurt by some other person at some point in life. Do we in faith forgive? Or do we in unbelief refuse to forgive? Someone is doing something wrong. Do we in faith rebuke them in love? Or do we in unbelief say, let someone else do it? We know that someone is struggling. Do we in faith reach out and encourage them? Or do we in unbelief back off and say, let someone else do it? We're going through a great difficulty. Do we in faith bear our heart to others so they can carry their burden or our burden with them? Or do we step back and say, I'll make it alone? Jesus is speaking to the twelve. How about the issue of physical trials? God, I'm going through a trial, physical trial. Fix me. Or do we say, God, I'm not sure what your will is, but I choose an attitude of joy and an attitude of dependency upon you. One is belief. One is unbelief. As we go through physical trials, do we reach out to others and say, I'm really struggling, I'm really hurting in faith? Share, let them pray for us, let them minister to us. Or do we in unbelief back off and say, well, I'll make this myself, as I did many years ago?
retirement. How do we respond to that? Do we think we have to have laid up for many, many years and we're going to have to be fine because I don't need to depend upon anyone? Have you ever considered that retirement, and depends how we approach it, may be a means of unbelief? Because God has called children to honor their parents and care for them in their later years. And I, as a parent, may think I have to have everything in order so that my kids never have to help me out later in life. Am I depriving them of the joy of helping them? Or of them helping me, rather? Again, belief. Unbelief. Think about Jesus' warning. Be careful. Watch out. And that is addressed to the twelve. Not to unbelievers, but to those who were following him. Beware of the unbelief of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Apparently, it can creep into their lives and it can creep into our lives. What kind of heart do you have? One that is pliable, one that trusts in Christ day by day. Or has it become hardened? How has the Lord spoken to you this morning? Will you be pliable and say, Lord, you've ministered to me. I want to respond in a godly way. As we continue in worship, we're going to be singing together. And keep in mind that singing is part of keeping a heart of belief rather than a heart of unbelief. Ephesians 5, verses 19 and 20 say, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we sing together, there's a reason why we sing. We're praising God. We want to encourage one another. And in the process, stay in the category of belief, not moving towards unbelief. Travis?